Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Most folks don't spend too much time in apple orchards in the uh, month of January. I suppose I can count myself among them. My name is Alex Kaufman. This is Wintry Mix number 15, and we've made our way to the Kent Ridge Orchard, which is just west of Middlebury, Vermont. And we're going to chat with Blake Harrison, who uh, is about 40 yards, 50 yards to my left right now, uh, about to hop out of the truck. He is, let's do that actually, he is pruning apple trees, and he does it all winter, every winter, in order for this industry to uh, have its harvests, have its blooms. Let's find out. This episode of Wintry Mix is proudly supported by Snowbird. Located 35 minutes from Salt Lake City International Airport, Snowbird is stacking foot upon foot of natural snow to kick off the 15-16 season. Take a break from East Coast conditions and get yourself first tram as early as tomorrow while enjoying $35 million in resort upgrades, including remodeled slopeside rooms at the Cliff Lodge and RFID lift tickets that never have to leave your pocket. Give yourself the bird this season and find out how you can get your fifth night free at snowbird.com. calm and cloudy. It's about 25 degrees, just enough snow to make the ground white. Almost lunchtime. Took me about an hour's drive to find my way to the Kent Ridge Orchard. Hoping to track down Blake Harrison. Found him. And sure enough, he's all alone pruning apple trees. Lots of them. Hey, Alex. How's it going, Blake? Not bad. Welcome to Kent Ridge Orchard. Thank you very much. What's the uh, what's the footprint of this thing? Oh, there's about 30 acres in trees. Nice views too. It, is that a lot? Uh, no, that's r really comparatively small. Introduce me to the Kent Ridge Orchard if you can. All right. Well, this orchard, like I said, has been here a long time. I don't know how long it's been here, but it was part of a of a, a whole series of orchards that ran this ridge from from north to south, uh, facing east, looking down at the town of Mill Middlebury. This was all orchards at one point in time, um, all the way down through Cornwall, uh, starting up here in, in Weybridge and extending down through Cornwall. Um, and a lot of those have been broken up now and, and turned into housing, but this is a remnant of that. Um, so it's been here a long time. It was owned by a professor at the college for a number of years, um, as, as I understand it, and then the gentleman who owns it now bought it uh, maybe 10 years ago. And is there something specific about this aspect of land or type of land that makes it good for, for having an orchard? Uh, orchards like uh, sloped land for drainage, and we're obviously on a hillside here, so um, there's benefit to that. Um, there's also benefit to being a little bit uh, higher in elevation, not too high, but a little bit higher. Cold air drains down in the springtime, and that can have beneficial effects um, on, during a time when the buds are forming, or when the, uh, when the blossoms are forming, sorry. Like, where are you from originally? How'd you get into this business? <laughs> I'm, well, uh, I'm from Western New York originally, and back in the 1990s, I'd worked in apples for a while um, up in Ferrisburg. And you know, then I went to graduate school and had a career uh, teaching part-time, taught at a number of universities. And my wife works at Middlebury College, so we moved here years ago. Um, 
at that time I was looking for a different line of work and fell right back into this. Um, kind of made me feel like probably never should have left it in the first place. So when you walk into a, an orchard, uh, when does the, the pruning season typically start? Is it a step-by-step -step process or do you just do one tree all the way till it's done and move on? Well, that's a good question. A lot of people do it different ways. Um, there's, there's no exact right way to prune and you get 10 people together, if they could do the same tree 10 times over, it would look different for each person. Um, I typically do a, a group of trees. I, I use about maybe five different tools in the course of doing a tree. I typically do a group of trees with one tool and then I grab the next tool, I go back through those trees and I do a different kind of cut with that tool and then I grab the next tool and I do a different kind of cut with that tool. So I usually work in groups of maybe 10 trees. I'll get about 10 done and you know, keep passing by with different tools. So the benefit for that, of that for me is that different tools tax different muscles and different joints and so during the course of a day if I use just the same tool over and over and over again I'd feel pretty sore in certain places. But Distributing the the uh, soreness and the and the aches and pains across a bunch of different tools is is really beneficial. Well, let's step over here and I'll get we'll get you back to work here and I'll ask okay. you a few questions while you're while you're sure, poking I, along. Let's walk this stuff over. We're going about five rows over. Just watch your step. So these trees have all been everything's been done except for the pole pruning in this section. Uh, the tops are still a little crowded up in there. Does doing this work impact your desire to eat and drink apple products? <laughs> well, yeah, you definitely want a cider. No, after a long day doing this, I can tell you that. Uh, no, I love apples. My, my wife says it's like having a teenage boy in the house again during the wintertime because I get really, really hungry. You just need, you need a lot of calories, um, just partly because of the cold and partly just because it's really physical work. You don't need a gym membership. No, no, absolutely not. A lot of people, when I, when I tell them I prune, I think they kind of picture pruning roses or something, you know, going around with mm -hmm. a pair of loppers. But this is a really, really physically demanding, um, intense job. So just list for me what we have here for tools. Okay, um, if, if I were to prune this tree, the first tool I would use would be a chainsaw. And I'd go through and make just a few big cuts to get rid of some problem, um, some problem limbs that are a little bit bigger. So now I go through with my, my handsaw, which I keep on my belt just in case I, I need it. Um, and I'm going to pull out all this stuff we just cut. And that all gets thrown into the, into the middle of the row. Pull all that out. Um, and then I go through and zip off a bunch of things like that. Um, always looking for... Uh, suckers little tiny things that you know yeah explain a sucker well that's a a, a, a fast growing mostly vertical uh, little growth like this that oftentimes or typically will grow out of a former cut get that thing and get rid of this one but it's got this kind of funny thing in the middle never gets any sun but there's buds on it. But there's fruit on it. Is there yeah. any reason you use the handsaw instead of the loppers for a lot of these little guys? Um, you know, I think the handsaw is a better, gives a better cut. Yeah. Then I go around with these hand loppers, just like you may have in your backyard, a classic set of hand loppers. And I do just a quick pass around to get some of the smaller stuff from down low that I didn't get with my handsaw. Just cutting, cutting limbs. Um, you make a lot of decisions just kind of on the fly. Um, 
but that's that's probably good for that whole section right there can maybe do something else with the pole pruner uh, being on the ground gives I think a better perspective on the tree than when you're up there in it you're not seeing the whole picture I think and it's a lot faster to work on the ground I think than to move a ladder around especially when there's a lot of snow um, so so I love the pole saw that was a dead piece that had to go this is kind of a coming off at a pretty ugly angle so um, it's like a four-year-old branch it probably should have been cut years ago but um, yeah you gotta, gotta watch out they come down hard sometimes it looks like you, you got pretty good control of where they're gonna fall yeah yeah you know the thing about apple trees is there's a lot of places for a branch to get hung up on its way down yeah and so typically they don't fall straight down there's you know something that catches it um, but every now and again you do get clocked just before you got here i got hit in the lip um, by a by something that came down um, but yeah they they typically fall about where you want them to fall your tr your triceps must just be <laughs> you get kind of big shoulders yeah it's sort of an <laughs> incredible hulk transformation every winter where uh, uh a lot of the rest of the year i spend this is the pole pruner a lot of the rest of the year i spend on a tractor doing various things so I'm less active than I am this time of year. There's a number of different varieties in here. Most of these in this area, uh, right around here, are Macintosh. Yeah, these trees are, oh, I don't know, well over 50 years old, some of them. Um, but there's other ones that are younger that have been interplanted in between them. Um, but most of the ones you're looking at right here are Macs. And harvesting, um, you know, for the layman who's used to just taking their kid out for a pick in the fall, um, harvesting for cider or for industry is different how? Uh, you can pick a little faster for cider. You don't have to worry so much about bruising the apples. So when the guys pick the apples, mostly Jamaican laborers, when they pick, if they're picking for cider, you, uh, they pick more quickly and that saves time, that saves money for the grower uh, and uh, uh, the apples are moved out of the orchard. But it's still pretty much a, a hand process. Oh yeah, it's all by hand. Yep, every apple gets touched by a hand when it comes off the tree. And we're looking at basically a row of limbs that you've done down here. I would venture to say maybe 300 yards of it. How do you how do you pick that up? Uh, that gets pushed out with a tractor um, and put into piles like that one, um, and and ultimately burned. Different orchards have different ways of dealing with that, uh, with brush like that. Um, but that's what we do here. It'll all get pushed out. These trees were, as I said, were kind of neglected for a number of years. So in past years, in recent years, as they've been sort of brought back into production, there were bigger piles between the rows because there, were, there was more stuff coming out of them, more, uh, more limbs coming out of them. So this is a pretty modest and, and reasonable amount of brush left over from, from pruning. These trees are getting, getting back into shape where they need to be. When I say I could do 30 acres, I, I should probably clarify that a little bit. This orchard's different from other orchards in that there's 30 acres planted, let's say, in trees, but these rows are really, really wide. And it's, a, it's an old-fashioned, sort of inefficient orchard by modern standards. 30 acres of trees in a denser planting would be a lot more trees, um, and that would be a bigger challenge. And the length of your season is basically when the leaves fall to when they come back on, or is it shorter than that? Um, well, you can prune pretty much any time of year, but um, you don't typically do this kind of pruning in the, uh, in, during the growing season. The, some people say maybe you shouldn't prune so much in November. Um, I've heard that before. Um, I typically don't really get started till around Christmas time. There's other, other activities to do uh, that keep me busy until then. And then from that point on, it's pretty much pruning till 
till really end of April or so. And then and then there's other jobs that seasonal work that has to get done and pruning, whatever pruning doesn't get done at that point, doesn't get done. It seems like there's kind of a, probably a disconnected community of folks that do exactly what you do. Uh, do you ever cross paths with them and, and, and network or things like that? That's a really good point. It's kind of lonely out here. It's, I mean, I work alone. I, I don't have any other people that help prune, at least this year. Um, I have in the past a little bit, but um, no, there's no forum, let's say, for a, a pruning uh, comparison. It would be nice. I think we, everybody would benefit by looking at other people's pruning, but some of the bigger orchards have multiple guys doing this, and and uh, they get to, I'm sure, talk about things. For me, it's just a lot of it's just trial and error. You do if you if you stay with certain trees for long enough, you can see the mistakes that you made in past years, something that didn't work, or or you try some something in a trial and error could take a decade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's part of the business. You you know you you see what works and what doesn't, and then you have to go back and correct it later. Um, and these trees have had because they were abandoned. There's been a multi, sort of a multi-stage progress in, in bringing them back. And I've left a lot of stuff over the years in these trees that anybody driving by who knows anything about pruning probably wondered why it was left there. Um, but that's all right. You know, everybody knows you you have reasons for for what you're doing. Every cut in a tree is a decision, and hopefully there's an informed reason for making that decision. And they're fairly resilient, correct? I mean, you can almost not overcut an apple tree. I mean, it wants to be cut, correct? Yeah, they're, they are resilient. They're strong trees. And, and um, the, the problem is if you, if you do things incorrectly or if you overcut, they may respond. You may not kill them, but they may respond in a way that's not beneficial to you. They may send up a lot of suckers, water sprouts, um, wood that isn't uh, conducive to growing fruit or wood that's taking energy away from the tree and thus stealing energy away from producing a better apple. A tree has only a certain amount of energy and you want to prune in a way that that balances the energy and nutrients the water being delivered from the roots up into the tree. You don't want to cut too much or you'll put that tree out of balance with its root system and it'll have a lot more energy nutrients running up into the tree and it'll uh, it'll that'll promote excessive uh, somewhat worthless growth yeah and you may have already said but how long have you been on this specific this specific plot uh, I guess five five years now um, four, four or five years at this point um, and it's taken that long really to get these trees to a point where I think they, they really are looking pretty good because what, what happens when it when it gets neglected as you said I mean how many <clears> years does it take to really lose an orchard uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Once it gets to a certain point, there's no point in bringing it back. But you, if you don't prune for a number of years, let's say three or four years, you're going to regret it because, because there's a lot of worthless wood in there that's got to get cut out. But the owner of this orchard is committed to making it work. And, and uh, um, with the market for cider, there's the possibility that, you know, that this kind of place can not only survive but thrive. And I would assume, I mean, in the last five years, it's kind of like IPAs and ciders have kind <laughs> right. of t taken over the world, right? <laughs> That's and right. and yeah. has, has that changed anything drastically, either for you or, or for Vermont, as you know it, in the orchard industry, as far as the takeoff of cider locally and nationally? Yeah, there's different orchards are experimenting with planting different varieties that may not have market value beyond cider. Um, so you know, varieties that you wouldn't necessarily want to eat, um, not dessert variety apples, uh, but ones that are particularly good for making cider. So a lot of orchards are experimenting with planting varieties um, that, you know, that'll be more marketable to the cider industry. But of course, that takes time. You know, you put them in the ground last year, you still got five years or so before you really know 
what you're going to get. So yeah, that time scale is probably very unique. I mean, I wonder how long it takes to experiment with hops. I have no idea. I, I don't know anything about the hop industry, but but there's I think it's probably a quicker turnaround. I mean, the the thing about an, an orchard is it's a commitment of time and labor in a specific place on specific plants. So. And, you, and a lot of acres. Yeah, yeah, oh, it takes up a lot of land. Yeah, but but you can't just, you, you're committed to these individual trees. You can't just rip them up. It's not like a cornfield yeah. where you cut it all down and you plant it to something new the next year. If, if, if pumpkins are worth more than corn, you can change your field over from year to year, but you can't do that with an orchard. Once it's in place, there's an incentive to maintain it and to keep it going. Yeah, otherwise it's just worthless and you got to sell it and subdivide it yeah and rip up all the trees and you hate to see that happen so i'm thankful for you know the the, the boom insider because it's created a market for these and it's helping to protect some of these old orchards so you probably enjoy winters that have um less snow this has been particularly good this year it's really been nice i like it when the ground's frozen uh, you know it's less slippery and less muddy uh, but with less snow it's always better i mean last year when i was in this in this exact section here there was a couple feet of snow on the ground and you basically take a couple of steps and you lift your legs high, a couple of steps, plant yourself there, and then you work from that spot for as long as you can, and then you take a couple of steps, and, and it was a real slog. And I'm finding that the trees I did in this section when the snow is so deep aren't done as well as they should have been. I yeah, think it must have a major impact on your efficiency. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Blake? Thank Alex. you, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. I my now pleasure. feel more educated about something I've probably seen for you know my entire 36 years on this planet driving by orchards in the right. wintertime having no right. idea. Well, the key to remember is the stuff that happens here in the wintertime makes everything else possible. And people tend to forget that. You go to an orchard to see the blossoms in the spring, you go to pick apples in the fall, but it's really this time of year that's really making all that possible. Well, thanks for your work in making that possible. Yeah. And thanks for, uh, I guess, the hard, next hard cider I have, I'll be thinking of you, yeah, sir. Absolutely, okay, all right. <laughs>to Blake Harrison at the Kent Ridge Orchard here just west of Middlebury, Vermont. If you need help pruning your apple tree, go to an orchard. You'll see some that are pruned. You'll see some that are not pruned. That was episode 15. My name is Alex Kaufman. We appreciate the support from Vermont Public Radio. We have production assistance from Angela Evansy. Our theme music is by Adam Levy. Go grab yourself a cider and we will talk to you later. Worst is when you worst is when you get hit in the face by a frozen apple that's still up in the tree. That's that's about like getting hit in the face with a baseball. Oh, that really hurts. But you can't control can't control where they go.